I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, Tim Sylvie here, and today we've got a slightly different format. Drive to Survive Season 3 hit our screens last week, and since then, there's been opinion flying around all over the internet. For those that have been hiding under a rock, the show dives deep into the usually unseen elements of Formula One, going into the paddock and other closed-off areas to bring out interesting storylines, narratives, and characters. So, we thought we'd join the bandwagon and cast our own views on the show that's taken Netflix by storm. And to do that, we brought in a couple of friends in the form of LMP1, Wexstar, Ollie Webb, and Grand Tour slash W Series recruit, Abby Eaton. Before I bring them in, though, I have to pootle over to Essex to introduce my usual co-host, but today panellist, Harry Benjamin. How are you doing? I'm very excited. I uh, get to be a panellist today, which mm. is way easier. I haven't had to do any research uh, apart from watch Drive to Survive. So... I'm winning as far as I'm concerned. So doing well. How are you? I'm all right. Well, I'm recover. I'm in recovery. As yes, you've as had a bit of a, a a few a few days. Had a few days of recovery, which I won't I won't go into too much graphic detail in. But let's let's just say that I'm not going to be having any more children in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, just to point out to our listeners um, that um, we are going to delve into uh, Drive to Survive, but fear not. We are trying not to spoil it for those that haven't already seen it. So we've collectively, bar Ollie Webb, who's who's let us down, have watched all 10 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, we'll try not to give too much away. Um, on the subject of Mr. Hamilton Webb, wins the championship. Just, uh, yeah. just so got that one covered. Yeah. <laughs> you just told them. <laughs> <laughs> on the subject of Ollie Webb, welcome back, Ollie. It's been a while since we've had you on the podcast. Um, how long did it take you to binge all these episodes, or nearly all of them? I had to do six yesterday. 
which was brutal as much as I loved it. I was looking forward to really spreading them out, having lots of brews, lots of chocolate, you know. You know, I get, normally get about five minutes per episode now with the new baby, so I don't get to watch things in full. Well, we should say congratulations because for those that don't follow you on, on Instagram or, or, or the missus, you've had a baby. So, so massive congrats. How's it all going? Are you sleeping? Uh, no, which is why I'm at the Premier Inn, so now I am, um, which is great. So uh, I used to come back from work shattered, now I come back from work rejuvenated. Uh, it's a little bit different. But yeah, I managed to cram in six episodes last night and I think a couple the night before and half an episode just before we switched on now. So well I've watched... Uh, let's say nine plus one blag. We'll take that. We like a good blag. That's all right. Um, Abby, um, a warm welcome back to you as well. It's, it's, I can't remember when we had you on the show. I can't remember what episode number it was, but it feels like an age ago. How are you? And, and did you manage to work your way through all the shows? Yeah, all good. Um, kind of crammed it in as and when I could um, mid-house move. So when we got sick of unpacking boxes and lifting heavy things, the break time was sit on, on the floor and watch Try to Survive. So um, I managed to get all 10 in. Um, uh, Jess made the half. She was like, let's just binge watch them all at once. And I was like, we need to spread them out because we need a little bit of solace like on the next couple of days. I was like, we can't just binge all, all of them now. So, yeah, I think we did it in two Two days, baby. Well, pretty good. Uh, that, we'll take yeah. that. We'll take that. Harry, how did you get on with them, by the way? Did you manage to do it all in one sitting? or? Uh, yeah, I did them all in one day. Um, I, I planned it all perfectly. I, had to, I didn't do any. I had the day off all work um, on Friday. And uh, when it came out and just binge watched all of them, I felt pretty awful come the end. I felt <laughs> it was the definition of lazy. And I just had done nothing all day. And I felt awful. But you know what? I'd, I'd do it again. I would do it again. There you go. Let me see. Right, let's get into it. I've got a few topics I'd like to cover off. um, And my two pennies worth is that it was an okay run of shows. However, I have to caveat that I did have a minor operation the day of its release, and I was extremely high on medication for approximately the first five episodes and slightly intoxicated on red wine for the others. So I'm relying on you three to keep this legit. So for me, as an avid F1 fan and someone who's worked in F1 for many years, there was really nothing new, nothing that really made me go, wow, bar perhaps one or two episodes. However, for the new fan or Netflix, Netflix watcher who might not even watch races, this was probably an amazing insight into paddock life. I thought there were several great things, some pretty poor things, and also some glaring omissions. So let's crack straight on. The first thing I want to tackle is new faces. Now, Jenny Gao, um, a, a female face, a former podcast guest, I think she did a cracking job giving a fresh perspective. Abby, what did you make of Jenny and her contribution? And secondly, do you think it's important that Netflix show a bit of diversity here and have a female adding some colour and commentary? Um, so I'll put my hands up and admit that I didn't watch Drive to Survive season one or two. So i gone, yeah, a newbie straight into it. Um, so for me, I didn't know any different, but, you know, I think Jenny, you know, spoke well. She brought insights in that perhaps other people didn't have. And, I mean, she's been in the game long enough to know what is right and wrong and what needs, you know, picking up and speaking about more. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed having her on the show and, 
I need to watch season one and two now so I can give you a proper answer. I don't think from memory that we had any of those sort of um, cutaways to females. I, I might be wrong. We had a lot of Will Buxton and, yeah. and not too much of anyone else. So for me, it was great to see um, Jenny on the show, particularly as as we've had her on here before. And, and like you say, she added a lot of um, interesting insights and perhaps a different perspective. Um Lawrence Stroll was, of course, another of the new faces. What do we make of him? Ollie, you've been around motorsport long enough to meet a few characters like him. How do you think he came across, and do you think he's a good thing for Formula One? Um, I think he's a, he's a great thing for Formula One. I think he came across um, as well as he can do. You're always going to have, um, maybe not necessarily enemies, but um, people a bit maybe controversial towards you when you're when you're that kind of powerful and have such a stake in the game um but i think he came across really well he kind of gave that aura and presence that he has in person have, having met him before and that came across on camera as well um especially when he was making um you know his piece to camera about uh talking about the car not being a, a pink mercedes but i think he came across well and i think the characters like you alluded to earlier i I preferred season two, but for a newbie, having watched the first couple of episodes with with my missus, she really liked the character introductions and going into the background a little bit more of the people involved. It made it more of what the Netflix-style show would be rather than a documentary on yeah. racing. Yeah. Um, and I think his presence um, and a couple of the other characters that I'm sure we'll go into a bit later on were really well perceived by that. And I think that's what makes it a Netflix show. And I think Will, I would think he Will posted that, I'm not sure this is right, just UK or world, but he wrote that it was Netflix world's number one show 48 hours ago, two days ago. It might not be now because they released amazing. so many, but two days ago, it was the highest rated Netflix show in the world. Yeah. So it obviously came across well to non-Formula One fans, of which 99.9% .9 of those viewers would have been. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you've met Lawrence Stroll, have you? Yeah, in person in the paddock before and, you know, not a big exchange, but enough that you get that present presence from, you know, that, that awe of a successful businessman who yeah. can apply himself um, not only uh, to obviously what he does in business, but obviously towards, well, Formula One is a business, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the thing that runs it effectively, most of the percentage of Formula One is, is not what happens on the track. That's just the last bit of the end result. He looks like a guy who's dripping with cash, doesn't he? He just looks, he looks wealthy. There's, he, he reminds me a bit of uh, Ollie. You, I'm sure you know Chili Chilton, uh, Max and Tom's dad. When it, it's a similar kind of feeling. You walk into a room with him. Chili's a, a big old unit. A lot. Lawrence Stroll doesn't look like a small man, and you feel their presence. You know, it's just knowing billionaire them. vibes. Yeah, billionaire vibes. <laughs> a bit, you know, a bit like when you walk into a room, Harry. You know, it's, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, Harry, let's come to you. Um, I'm going to start you off nice and easy by going straight into Black Lives Matter. Um, it seemed a little bit absent. Should there been should there have been more of it? Do you think? Um, well, I suppose it was quite a big feature of of the year, as it should have been, and and of the season, especially you know with Formula One moving, you know it's we, we race as one and its whole diversity movement. But I think they I think they touched on it enough for people to, to know that that, that was a, a significant part of the season because I mean you know they, they missed huge storylines out from from the F1 season so you know it, it was there and and I suppose the other thing is they actually Lewis Hamilton 
Hamilton's obviously the number one spearhead for it. And and actually, there wasn't that much of Hamilton, really, overall in in the whole of the season, I thought. So um, they touched on it towards, I think it was towards the end of the last few episodes, especially with, you know, the George Floyd killing. So I think they touched on it the appropriate amount to sort of set the tone and realise that actually, you know, Formula One is fighting for this better diversity. It's still got a hell of a long way to go, but it is something that is prevalent and and becoming better uh, within the paddock and the surrounding uh, areas of it. Well done. Very very diplomatically done. Um, now, talking of uh, new faces, there were some some faces that seemed to be a little bit absent. Um, the one that everyone's talking about is George Russell. Where, where on earth yeah. was George Russell? Where was his Bahrain almost triumph? Um, Abby, were you disappointed not to see more of him and perhaps that that epic race he so nearly won? Absolutely. I think probably the majority of people that tuned in were waiting for the last few episodes to see that whole thing unfold. And, you know, we could obviously see from the outside the emotions that were involved for, for George and, you know, the, the amount of pressure he must have had on his shoulders. And, you know, after it all went pear-shaped, how he conducted himself afterwards. I think Netflix must have been like, this is brilliant. So... I'm not fully sure why it wasn't it wasn't covered. Um, you know whether there's some politics in the background or whether maybe you know on the race weekend maybe Toto said right no you know he needs to concentrate on what he's doing so you know you're banned from coming in but I I don't know I can't see that happening. Yeah, it seems a bit of a shame to me that there wasn't more of George. And that, that race in Bahrain was was such an epic and it could have been so good for him. But the storyline of that sort of, you know, getting so close, but yet so far would have been really nice to see. And as you say, it was one of the later episodes and a lot of people were hanging out for him. So it was a shame not to see more yeah. of him. But it's it's a nice segue into uh, Williams and, and the whole Williams saga with Claire leaving the team. Ollie, sh- should there have been more focus around Claire in this and, and that whole Williams debacle? Yeah, I feel like that should have really warranted, you know, half an episode plus of William's talk of their commitment to the sport, uh, maybe kind of the relation back towards the whole rich energy speaking to them before Haas and when Haas were talking about their new, maybe in the episode where they were talking to their new sponsors, um, uh, the potential new sponsors, which I guess now were, were the ones that needed Mick in the car, Um that would have been a really nice segue into talking about how they've survived all the way through this time and their success and, 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 you know, what Claire and the family have done. Um, And then the emotion of them leaving the paddock and all, you know, everyone clapping them and saying goodbye. And and unless I missed something in the very last episode, I didn't see all that because, you know, the whole pit lane stood out and clapped for them. And and, and there was some emotion in there that they missed. Um, And that's a little bit what I think this series three maybe lapped because it had the background stories of some of the people and didn't quite go that extra step into the emotion because season two was great and one and three for the reason that I think whoever the sound editor is for Drive to Survive deserves a medal deserves a freaking medal because obviously the visuals are amazing in Formula 1 anyway but to turn Formula 1 into then a Netflix show by adding the curb strike sounds yep. and and you know every now and they get it wrong but you know over the top engine no, no, noises and and that it just creates that drama. Um, maybe on the flip side, I'm kind of divulging a bit here away from the Williams thing, but the video editor deserves a bit of a slap sometimes because <laughs> what pissed me off the most was when they were well. First of all, it felt like they spent eight seasons at Red Bull Ring. Um, and then they started all of a sudden they got to the wet Red Bull Ring race 
And they flicked in between Silverstone and Red Bull ring garages like nine times. Yeah. And it went from raining outside to dry three times. And I was like, you know what? This is, they've really dropped the ball there. Because in season two, that's what I love so much about it is it was so accurate. You know, you knew what race you're at. You knew what weekend you're at. You knew who you were focusing on. And then it got a bit muddled in season three. And I think you, would, you would have had no idea that the, the first two races of the season were, were at the same track. And it almost, they sort of merged it into one. You didn't know that actually it was Austria and what was it called? The Styria, wasn't it? Styrian yeah. Grand Prix. Yeah. Those two, was just just a whole mismatch. Yeah. 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 See, I just point. assumed that that's what, because obviously I haven't seen season one and two. I was like, I was expecting to go kind of round by round mm. and then a bit of a story, but it wasn't. It was um, personal personality or team or you know uh, story and it was that that was followed kind of through the season and and I was kind of sat watching thinking I'm a bit confused why do we keep like flicking back there and I didn't want to say anything to Jess I was like just work it out by yourself I what's going on but it never really became clear you know what kind of um structure they were following yeah, I, I suppose one of the things maybe you had to take into account this year was obviously COVID and perhaps you know they mm. they couldn't afford maybe to do the, the because they have done it chronologically historically I'm pretty sure but and it kind um, of still semi was wasn't it, it but, yeah it's still but you know especially with the whole Lando McLaren storyline they really flitted back and forth mm. on that one and same with Bottas that well one minute you're in Russia then you're you're back at the start and he's hounding Hamilton it just didn't it, it felt a bit all of a mismatch so maybe there could have been better stuff there but I do feel like perhaps with COVID you know the with the calendar being quite you know temperamental at times although it ended up being pretty stable maybe that maybe that played, played a part in how they I think that's like let's film it and get it done that definitely stopped them because you got the feeling in season two they went to every single round and they picked mm. the best bits bosh done the fact that Portomeo wasn't they, they can't have been there because I didn't see one scene from Portomeo no, no. or one interview and that was for me in the top three races mm. well overtaking wise it was the best race of the year storyline wise maybe not so much but that race was incredible in the wet and Verstappen and spinning and pushing to the limit and, you know, the sound guy would have had a field day. But that wasn't even in it, not even one little bit. And when you mentioned Lewis earlier, I feel like they probably got 10 minutes with him the whole year and they spread that throughout the whole drive to survive. Whereas if they got people every race and went to Portimao, it maybe would have fitted a bit better, you know, without COVID. But controversially, perhaps, I think just off of Hamilton, I almost think that, I mean, they have to obviously touch on Hamilton, Bottas and Mercedes, but I almost think it's, everyone, even if you're not an F1 fan, you know who Hamilton is and you know that Mercedes are probably, you know, they're, they're winning all the time, so that's going to be good. You could almost kind of forego that whole, they spent a lot of time on Bottas. They did. And I almost feel like they could have foregone a lot of that and built up the more passionate storylines, like Ollie said earlier, with, you know, the Williams storyline, following that through, you know, how George Russell spanned behind the safety car and, you know, um, missing the possibly the first point. Williams' whole battle to get points, that could have been a whole storyline in its own. So I almost feel like you can kind of fob Mercedes off a little bit because everyone's kind of bored of that. Yeah, you're right. They just wanted to get Bottas' backside in, didn't they? Yeah, that is true. Yes. <laughs> well, like, we got it. Wait, was that, in, was that in the last episode? Is that the one I've not seen? No. I don't no. Think so. It's one of the early ones. No. He, he, when, when he's in the he's in the woods in his little little uh, hut, sauna stripping oh, off with his yeah. pal. Yeah, you must have yeah. you must have blinked I chose to, to that delete it. I chose <laughs> to delete it. Blocked, blocked it out completely. Now listen. Um, now, sorry. Wait. Wait. We just spoke about Portimao. I've just realised they also missed. What was the huge start line crash they had? It was it not Imola. What's the other Italian GP they had? 
Because, you know, because Grosjean had the shunt and uh, Magnussen went towards the wall and they had to restart Oh, the race, um, like... Mugello. They missed yeah. Mugello completely. And Al- that was when Albon got his first podium as well, wasn't that? And that, they really made a big deal about Albon trying to get onto the podium. And he didn't do it until Mugello, is that right? I think. Yeah, and it was right. just after Monza where we all realised that restarting the race from a grid format was something that is legal and possible. And all of a sudden it happened three more times <laughs> in one week. Way more fun as well, I think. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. So you do wonder how there must be a significant reason why they missed that. Because especially if you look at the storylines they were following, to miss Mugello out, yeah, get the get the crashing. But also they really built up the pressure on Albon as, as expected. And to not follow that through to him getting a podium, that, that storyline didn't, didn't favour Albon, it very much favoured Gasly and culminated in, in the whole Monza winning situation, yeah. which again, thank God they touched on that. <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased though that Gasly uh, actually got some decent coverage Air in this, time. because yeah. in previous ones, he was absolutely annihilated. I felt sorry for the guy. It was like he was being bullied by Horner live on TV. Um, l- let's talk bromances. Now, we all know as, as F1 fans that Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz were bosom buddies. There was a bromance there. It was blossoming all year long. And this was strangely portrayed in the show. And Will Buxton was even quoted as saying, the gloves are off in 2020 between these two, which seems a little at odds with what we saw week in week out Harry should we have seen more of the true love fest that was Norris and Sainz I mean that's just Will Buxton being told to say something dramatic um the gloves are off he's probably said that about five different times um I I the I mean they cover I think they covered the McLaren duo quite well um especially to the you know the coming into the series is all about Norris you know making a bigger step up uh from last season and and you know how was Sainz going to deal with that being young but also having quite you know a decent whack of experience behind him and they did a good sort of storyline of how Norris obviously had that great start to the season and Sainz really struggled with the bad sort of bit of bad luck and a rough run of it um but I think I feel like a lot is made of their bromance and perhaps the way we all know it wasn't wasn't shown so much but I think you definitely got the gist and enough of it I feel like that's what Drive to Survive is you get the gist of some things and that's kind of where it's at you know the, the brilliant scene of the in, I think an interview in the paddock where um, uh, is it uh, signs t- uh, pulls Norris's chair away just before he's yeah. about to sit down. Like so, you get the nice little you know insights there to go. Okay, they're not you know it's not your it's not your Verstappen and Albon relationship. It's a bit better than that. So you get that kind of homely feel, and that's definitely the kind of storyline I think they were building around McLaren. It's a sort of more homely, nicer, fun place, uh, and you know that Ricardo now wants to go yeah, to. So yeah. which is weird when you think about it. After all the years with Ron Dennis, no, they all been a bit cold. Yeah, where you know you weren't even allowed to put a glass of water down on your desk if you work there and now all of a sudden it's like this fun place where they play with puppets and shit um let's talk um team bosses now we've got the likes of zach brown christian horner otmar toto we do our talking on the track wolf what's clear and um and chloe my wife said this as a a non-f1 fan is that they all clearly have a huge passion for their teams and genuinely care and all the the really cool pit wall action was was quite a highlight for me seeing them you know thump their fists down on on the desks and swearing and getting behind their drivers. Um, I want to know, Abby, who was your favourite team principal? Cyril Abitbul seems a bit like the sort of Eric Cantona of F1, albeit he's he's left now, but a deep kind of chap. Who, who was your favourite? Who's your standout team principal? 
Um, I really like watching Horner's interviews on TVs because I think he just says it how it is. And, you know, if someone's not delivering, he'll say it. You know, he doesn't mince his words. But I think the person that had me giggling the most was Gunter from Haas. Yeah. Like, he had me cracking up so many times. And, you know, he's a bit like, oh, you know, yeah, we'll do it. You know, we'll sort it. You know, we're just having fun, aren't we? But then... You know, he can be serious as well. And I think I just really like that, you know, like that about him, that he's there to do the business as well. And, you know, he's as passionate as, you know, Toto, for example. But um, he is not quite as scary and, and intense as someone like Cyril, which yeah. I he's scared. I was scared of him watching it on the TV. He's a, he's a bit he's a bit much, isn't he? <laughs> he feels a lot. And um you know, I mean, we don't know exactly what what went into the whole Ricardo and him kind of conversation and so on. But um, you know, I I like people that you can say how you feel and they will say how they feel back. Um, but you know, you've got to crack on and do the job that you're there to do as well. Which I'd just be scared of saying anything to him. Yeah. I'd be frightened. Yeah, totally. I got and... UT order wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, there's not enough milk in there. And and what is up with those eyebrows? I know we're in lockdown, but so <laughs> fuck. Please trim your trim the brows. Those big grey brows are so offensive. Um, yeah, I agree. Gunter Steiner, absolute legend. And if you, Abby, if you haven't seen um, the other series of Drive Survive, you, I, is it the second um, the the second one where Gunter is is, or maybe it's the first series where he's basically the star of the show and you know, he's the standout. Yeah, oh really? Oh Hopefully. yeah. He's, okay. he's, he's been the star. He is. He is Drive to Survive, isn't he? He, he needs he's his, his own main character. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. He's bigger. That my we had. I've got to do a plug here for our latest YouTube video where we got my friend, um, who my friend Alice from my school friend Alice, who um, only knows about anything to do with Formula One because she watched Drive to Survive. That is as far as her knowledge goes. She doesn't Amazing. really watch the races, but she. So we did a, a sort of reaction video with her, and straight out the bat, Gunther Steiner needs his own show on yeah. Netflix. He's bigger. He's bigger yeah. than Drive to Survive. Yeah, he's that kind of character. I think Cyril still. What was nice is to see um, Cyril's emotional side, as scary as he is. Um, and I think it is pretty upsetting because I think Ricardo, obviously, when he realised he had to leave Red Bull, he took a big paycheck to go to Renault, hoped his kind of move to Renault was a bit like, you know, when Lewis originally went to Mercedes and everyone was like, what the hell? They just did terribly. Why are yeah. you going there? He thought they had something which maybe they didn't quite in the long term. Cyril thought he would commit um, and didn't. But I think... What was really interesting is some of the cutaways were really quite prevalent and quite entertaining when they were talking about Cyril and his commitment to Ricardo and the other way around. And in the episode, I think, where Ricardo said he's um, going to leave and he's um, driving his company car, which was a Clio and is now a 720S. <laughs> um, he's, he's driving down this Clio and it cuts to the sign where he tells, um, he tells Renault that he's leaving. And there's like an advertising board in France where it says forward <laughs> together. And I'm like, that's so great, you know. And it's a picture of him in the Renault outfit. <laughs> outfit, you know what I mean? Race suit. Oh, so yeah, I thought that was quite but it, it's it's mad how early on everyone announced their movements. Mm. And that, that really was highlighted in the show and, yeah. and the whole Carlos moving to Ferrari. And I didn't realise how bad Carlos's start to the year was until I rewatched Netflix, and then all of a sudden I'm like, "Geez, yeah, he got to like round five and hadn't scored like many points, if any, yeah." Yeah, 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, let, let's talk uh, drivers and, and driver battles. Now, um, Max Verstappen, he, he's destroyed the career of yet another teammate um, uh, <laughs> in the form of Alex Albon. All right, he hasn't destroyed his career. He's going he's gonna to be fine. Um, but do you think Alex was treated fairly in this series? I mean, Harry, what do you think? I mean, it, we've had it in the past, like I mentioned, with the likes of Christian Horner, basically, you know, shaming um, Gasly in... in uh, in uh, in shows gone by, do you think Alex Albon got a, a tough um, time unfairly in this, or do you think it was a, an accurate representation? I think it was. I think it actually was a, a pretty accurate representation. You know, especially they showed he he'd been a bit hard done by, especially you know with Hamilton robbing him of a, of a pretty perhaps even a win. You know, in Austria for the first the first race, or perhaps it was Styria. I can't remember. Um, but you know, in, in, that, in that first double header. Um, and compared to Gasly, he had a great, he had a way easier time. I, th- I think people forget how how quick Gasly was annihilated by not just Red Bull but by the media in general, yeah. and that really showed. So you know, Albon did have a tough time, and that showed. Uh, that second seat's just cursed. It just is. You you know, and no one's as good as Verstappen. No one is. Well, so the- I, I mean, it, it it may change, mightn't it? I mean, we we know now that um, Perez is going to sit alongside him in, in uh, this year. I mean, Abby, has he got a hope? Can we can we expect Perez as good as he is to to match Verstappen? I don't think anyone is capable of matching Verstappen. Um, I think if you put him in one of the Mercedes, I think he'd likely be gone, you know, more so than than Hamilton. But yeah, Perez has got obviously a bit more um, experience. And I mean, I don't really know what Red Bull are looking for from a second driver. I mean, they're obviously looking for a a Max Verstappen number two, and I just don't think they're going to find that. So, you know, maybe it's something similar to Mercedes where they want two drivers as kind of close as possible to push each other along. Um, Similar, you know, with McLaren and, and the two boys that were there. But yeah, I think... It's not going to be a cursed seat forever. I think someone will start to um, to deliver. And, you know, Perez is going there with, you know, under no illusions that it's not going to be an easy ride. And he's got a lot to prove as well. So we'll see, I guess. And let's talk Bottas. We chatted a little bit about him earlier. It doesn't appear that there's a very happy camper there. Now, during his basically um, finish porn moment in uh, uh, where he had his shirt off for, for several minutes, um, he, he was referencing couch commentators. He thinks people within the team have an unconscious bias about you know first and second drivers. He thought about retiring in Sochi in 2018 with the team orders debacle. Then he gave this uh, Verstappen toe to ensure he started third showing a different side to him. We had his famous to whom it may concern fuck you comment. And when Toto Wolf was asked when they were driving along um, in, a, in a car with Toto whether Valtteri can be world champion, he made it pretty clear that he was saying, well, in Valtteri's mind, he has no doubt he can be a world champion. It was painfully obvious that he was saying, well, no, I don't think he can be a world champion, but Valtteri thinks he, he can be. Did he get a bit of a, a rough ride here, Ollie? What do you think? I think so, yeah. I mean, he's got a stellar, incredible um, junior career leading up to it. Um, Obviously, having that seat, having that seat in Mercedes is is a tough, tough seat because every single driver on that grid will finish second to Lewis. Um, 
in that car. So it's a great position to be in. But on the other hand, it's one of the hardest positions to be in because, like Abby said, other than Verstappen, I don't think... um, I don't think anyone can kind of challenge or get close to Lewis unless Lewis or Verstappen are, are in that seat. Then it's just you coming second to that person all the time. Um, it's tough. I, I agree with Toto that I don't think, I think there's quite a few people rather than Bottas in that second seat that would be able to get a bit closer. Um but he did contradict himself a bit because then when he was asked, when he was sat in the chair with Netflix, he's like, do you have a number two drive? He says, fuck you. And I thought I was quite <laughs> hilarious, you know, instantly because he gets asked it freaking daily, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I also think that they focused on him way too much, like Harry said. They focused on that situation way too much. They clearly didn't fly to five rounds or something and they kind of panicked a bit. But what do, it still doesn't explain that when they were at Bahrain, they didn't cover the Russell thing. You know, yeah. take away an episode yeah. from Bottas and, and give it to Russell and, and that would have been amazing drama. Why is that picture of Russell lying yeah. down in the mud after the on the side of the track in the paddock not being turned into a whole documentary? I mean, just... I, I suppose the only the only thing I can think of for, for that is that there was so much other stuff that happened in that race and, and maybe they literally had to cut something because, you know, they, they didn't have the time. To be fair, yeah, you could have made a whole series out of Bahrain yeah. and Sakir in total, to be fair. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, for stupid that didn't cross my mind as Ollie said if the cameras were there they they could have even if they weren't allowed to be in the Mercedes garage and and follow Russell that way they could have got enough footage from yeah. from afar to display that story did, did that much else happen because obviously the first race grows on fair enough whole episode maybe a whole episode on Perez coming through the whole storyline but other than Perez winning because of the whole Mercedes issue did anything mm. else happen in that race for me it was just yeah. the Mercedes debacle and the Perez yeah. win yeah. two things yeah yeah. yeah. and it, it, that it the Mercedes making one mistake which ended up being four <laughs> yeah. is a whole thing in itself yeah. especially when they're the famous for the double stack and it literally screwed them over that's a whole story uh, also we forget Turkey the, the, the yeah. Hamilton winning the championship but it wasn't just Hamilton winning the championship it was quite you know looking at that podium Perez and Vettel on the podium after it had just been announced you know recently that Vettel was taking Perez's seat and that whole race with Bottas span about 10 bloody times yeah. you know it, it, it was a crazy race it, they didn't even cover any of that well also Hamilton breaking Schumacher's record that that was kind of brushed over you know 91 um, race win record seemed a bit, bit absurd but as well but is that is that because do we care about that because we we, we obviously are a bit more knowledgeable so, than the average fan. Is that is it? You know, are they? Are we not seeing that actually, the 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 couch commentator doesn't care about that? You know, they, mm-hmm. Michael Schumacher. Yeah, we heard of him. He's all right, but you know, we know Hamilton's good. Like, yeah. do they care? Yeah, no, perhaps not. Perhaps not. Um, right. Before we come on to, um, I want to get out of each of you who you think um, came out of this series well and who came out as a complete disaster. Before we do, Ollie. Um, Let's talk briefly um, Vettel um, and Leclerc, Ferrari. Episode four was titled We Need to Talk About Ferrari. It can't be easy uh, announcing that you're leaving um, a team in those kind of circumstances. He clearly wasn't happy. He's being, frankly, bossed by his much younger teammate. Do you think Vettel handled that switch correctly, um, the announcement of that switch correctly across to Aston? It can't be easy doing that um, sort of announcement mid-season. I don't know whether you've ever experienced that kind of thing yourself, but do you feel like he handled it in, in in the only way he could? Yes, I think... 
I think if it was a younger, more junior Red Bull style, the team is in charge, you're just the driver style attitude, he would have handled it very differently. But he's older, wiser, has enough championships under his belt and is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place in the sense that his teammate is doing him over. But he needs to get one up and no one gets one up ever really on Ferrari. So it's kind of a middle finger as to, you know, thanks, I'll take my paycheck. It's not going the way I want. I will announce it now. And then, you know, it almost gave him a little bit of a smile and a smirk whenever, you know, you guys have been, you've been, uh, Tim, I'm sure maybe Harry's been as well to to the Autosport Awards and you've seen him do his speeches. He's very Very clever and sarcastic and funny, English-witted humour, which is tough for a German especially to do. So when he's smirking, you know, even in his little Ferrari press conferences when he's, you know, oh, I'm sure you didn't mean to announce it on this day and it was because of the press. Yeah, 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 of course it's because of that. (laughs) It's definitely not. You know, he's trying to get one up on Ferrari as he leaves. Um, you know, he's leaving for a, a good amount of money and it's on his terms. And I think that's great. And he's such a good character for the sport. Yeah. And in a way, as much as the clerk has absolutely, you know, dominated him, I just see, rather than seeing Vettel as worse than I did before, I just see Leclerc as better than I expected to be. So Vettel's always been a great driver in my head. And, and because of that attitude and pers- personality and persona he has, taking control of even Ferrari in that situation, I think he's come across great. Do you think he'll succeed at Aston? Um, I, I've got high hopes for Lance Stroll, by the way, just putting it out there. I think totally... Yeah, I think, I say it all the time, but I think Lance Stroll gets hard done by i think vettel to answer your question will do well lance needs to smile nine thousand times more a day which he did in netflix he did but if he smiled more in post press conferences spoke to the media a bit better and was just a little bit more friendly he wouldn't get a hard time because people forget that lando norris's family and lando are absolutely fucking minted yeah but no one talks about it because he's down to earth, he's friendly, plays on his games, does his job and just gets on with it. But because Lance keeps to himself and is a little bit, I don't know him, so dare I say a bit moody sometimes, people are like, oh, Billy Nurse, son, he's not even that quick. He's fucking rapid. He, he's been quicker than Perez on many occasions. So I think he gets hard done by and that's purely emotionally people disagree with how he is as a person and then then therefore call him slow which is unfair yeah couldn't agree with you more and we've done a video or two um on him and i agree i I think he's he's a better driver than people realize um and 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 to my next question he would be the one or one of the people that i would say came out of this series pretty well um abby let's come to you who do you think came out of the series well and who do you think fell completely flat on their face um, I think for me, as not a massive F1 watcher, apart from last year, as, as you guys know, helping me out with some points in an F1 quiz we did previously. You're <laughs> um, yeah, there were a few drivers, but the thing that I really liked was obviously Roman had his big crash and he's kind of known for his big crashes. Um, but actually, you know, he and I've heard this from from people, um, people's family who are mechanics for the team he takes so much time with all the driver with all the mechanics all the engineers everything we'll go in the team um you know bring them beers and so on and so forth and i think actually his um response to it all and um how he handled himself i think probably well i hope for people that slate him all the time think actually do you know what he is human and he um you know, has emotions and I just hope that people leave him alone a little bit now 
Um, it's almost like the Maldonado, you know, apart from, I think, Maldonado, in my opinion, was a little bit of an idiot. Um, I don't think Roman is. Um, yeah. But I think probably the person that maybe came off um, worse than I was expecting him to, and I don't know whether that's because of editing. We all know that it's it's quite easy to make a villain out of someone a little bit. Um, I thought that Charles Leclerc was made to seem a little bit stupid and a little bit kind of... Um, yeah, I don't know. There was just something that, that I kind of hadn't seen previously um, about him, which it could be could be the truth, could be not. But I think him and Vettel obviously had a, a harder job at Ferrari than they expected. Um, but I think he was... He, whether he handled it as well as he, I expected him to, maybe not. Yeah, brilliant. We've got Leclerc, slightly controversial choice. I've got to say. <laughs> um, he's a fantastic driver, though. Yeah. You know, I will oh, say he's, that he, he's incredible. He's, he is. Yeah, Lovely. I think he could be a world champion someday. I, I mean, I can't disagree with you because I, I don't know that much, aside from the driving, Charles Leclerc, I don't know much about the personality of him. I've got to say, I don't, I, you, you, I don't know whether that... I mean, I've seen a little bit of him dressed as a banana on Twitch. But that, that's about <laughs> the extent of it. Um, I, I, I actually think he... Because Vettel came off so well I, I actually and, and yeah. sort of it, it looked like Ferrari re- really treated him quite badly that then had a sort of counter effect on how everyone saw Leclerc yeah. as almost like a sort of the favourite child and he had a bit you know almost like mm-hmm. the spoiled, spoiled one yeah. exactly so I think that I died I got those kind of vibes from Leclerc which is strange because you don't really get that watching the season no no, no. you don't and no. it, it's weird though how the dynamic and the narrative about drivers change as they go through their careers. Because Vettel used to be mm. the, the the arch enemy, didn't he? He was, yeah. you know, everyone hated him for a long period. I was thinking that, watching it, I was like, why do I like? I know. Because he cares less now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's sort of got that Kimmy kind of vibe going on. Yeah. Um, Harry, what about you? Who, who came out of it well for you, and who who was a disaster? Um, well, I mean, I I agree with the other guys to say Vettel obviously came out quite well. Um, I think. On top of that, I, I'd say Ricardo always comes off well, no matter what he does. Uh, even you know, with the sort of controversial move away from Renault, it wasn't controversial. I think you know he he made a, a sensible decision there. Um, and I have to say, above all, though, I really think Gasly uh, came off like really well. I think they they told his story of sort of redemption and how he didn't quite, people didn't get the full story of what happened really at Red Bull and he didn't, it was almost like he didn't really ever, ever stand a chance there. Um, so that, that and then culminating, I mean, you couldn't have written it better to culminate in in that win at Italy, you know, home, home for the team. And I think, you know, that's where Gasly lives as well. It, you know, and ha- having such a tumultuous year for him as well, losing Antoine Hubert, his, his best mate. So, yeah. you know, it was such a, such a, a, a good redemption storyline that I don't think anybody could, could really beat that from Gasly. In terms of who came off really badly, I don't know if anyone came off uh, so awfully. I think, you know, we've covered Stroll and and, uh, Leclerc. Away from a driver, I would say that that Cyril Abitable didn't come off 
brilliantly. It was almost kind of comical the way, you know, it was portrayed almost like a love story. Um, <laughs> and they just had a massive breakup. But, um, and the, and but the, I, the awkward tattoo thing, which I just the found awkward, yeah, really it, mm, yeah. Uh, But to be fair, I did find it, I did find some bits he said were quite funny. With, with the whole racing point thing where they got a fine and I think they, they showed um, they showed Cyril looking at how much they were being, how many points they were being docked and he was just like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, it's nothing. <laughs> so that, yeah, he did, he did have a few nice one-liners, but that that whole Ricardo breakup was a bit messy, and I, I think he sort of he was a bit to quote my friend Alice, it was he was a bit salty over that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, a good way of putting it. Ollie, what about yeah. you? Who, who was the good and the bad? Um, well, it depends. Are we talking drivers or it team could, bosses? No, it or? could be team bosses. Sorry, you know I've, mi- I've mixed and matched there. Sorry. Yeah. Do you know who I don't think came off that well? Um, even though he's very switched on and very good, is Otmar. I'm going to say him. Yes! It's, it's a bit, you know, like, they cut to Gunther, who they know <laughs> Netflix, know everyone loves, and, and um, you know, it's hot, and the drivers are walking around the umbrellas, and then uh, and then someone runs up to Gunther, he's like, do you want an umbrella? He's like, fuck you, I don't need an umbrella, I'm not some pussy, or whatever he says. And then they cut to Otmar, and he's got someone with an umbrella, and someone else holding a water bottle as he gets out of his Ferrari Pista. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, so I thought that was a little bit unfair, because Otmar is quite a switched on, but he wasn't made oh, to look that dear. pretty, really, in that. They, um, what, they, they, were the, they were the baddies of the story, really, at the yeah, start. Well, yeah. Everyone was against them, and he was the face of it, and having to deal, you know, it almost felt like... Actually, he was sort of always having to look at, at Lawrence Stroll and be like, "Is he okay? Okay, he's good. He's watching. I can't, I can't <laughs> yeah. put a toe out of line." <laughs> I did. I did like that they followed, you know, just as much the drivers as they did as they did those those guys. I thought that was pretty interesting. Other than that, Carlos came across great. His relationship with his father, his training, his commitment, and his undying. I, I can't remember who it is who said. Oh, probably Lando and a little bit someone else. You know, people commenting, "Oh, I bet he's doubting going to Ferrari." You know, fucking way. Who? <laughs> Who would ever, I mean, even if he has to wait five years, I mean, to go to Ferrari is every every guy's dream. Even if Mercedes win for 10 years in a row and you get offered a Ferrari contract, you take it. Um, so I think Carlos came across really well. Pierre, love that. Love that they told the story about how, they almost apologised in the sense, Netflix, yeah. by showing how hard Red Bull are on drivers. Uh, and you guys have, have, have done interviews before with Jeff, and I thought he explained it really well, how you can literally be winning a championship and they'll just call up and be like, no, we're done. Yeah. And they'll call up a month later and be like, actually, no, you're in F1. It's like, it's such a hard sport. I, hard I, at my I do think sometimes that, that Red Bull storyline could be, again, its own Netflix drama show because going, you know, we chatted to Jeb, but we also chatted to Jaime Algashwari not too long ago. Almost one of the, the, the first high-profile, you know, you know, sacked off from Formula One. And speaking to him and learning a bit more about that story, you know, Algashwari drove in from 2010 to 2011, or 2009 to 2011, and not, not the highest profile, but he was quick, he was good, and, and he was delivering decent results for the car they were in before he was called up one day and just gone, sorry, no, we're going to go with Jonathan Van mm-hmm. Dan Ricardo. No reason, nothing whatsoever, yeah. out the blue. He turned down a contract at Lotus Renault um, because he thought it was going to be with Torosa. And you think, God, if that had been, if Netflix had been there for that, <laughs> oh, 
Yeah. It would have been good if they were around when Lotus were having like police turn up and pack up all of their yeah. stuff. And, you know, that would have been quite. I would have liked to have seen the whole Charles Pick suing Lotus for um, not giving him any Friday drives. That would have yeah. been a nice, uh, <laughs> nice storyline. Yeah. The bailiffs at Belgium. Oh, it writes itself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sign, sign, Harry up. Listen to that. Um, no, I agree with you. Actually, the whole the whole Red Bull thing is fascinating, and, and we, we've spoken to loads of guys um, and girls who have been part of a, the Red Bull um, program, and um, it, it's funny the different views you hear about it some say well you know i rebel signed me up i kept winning rebel kept supporting me you know it's all you got to do you just got to win you know if you keep winning you're fine you'll have a great time but on on the flip side you have a bad bad run and then all of a sudden you're doing a gasly and 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 you're out on your wing but you know it, it's that's the way that their business works and will continue to do so i'm sure um now before we come to your ranking um of of this um series we we would be amiss not to talk about Bahrain and Grosjean. Now, um, I think this was episode nine and it was a bit of an epic. Um, What do you guys think about how they portrayed the crash? Lots of people said it was over-dramatized. For me, um, I found it very emotional, impactful, brilliantly shot. And to your point earlier about the producers, Ollie, the sound was astonishingly good with it. Um, I even thought it was relatively sympathetic to Grosjean and his family, and it was nice to see his wife um, come into into the picture as well. What's your take on it? Because it's quite polarising. Abby, let's come to you first. What did you think of it? Um, I think there's... You can't dramatise it any more than what it is. Um, no matter what footage I see of it, every single time it makes me feel sick. And, um, I mean, when it happened, I was sat in my lounge watching and, like, chatting away to my housemate, Baz. And when it happened, I just I just stood up and we both went, fuck. And then we both stood there like this. And we were stood like that and just walked through the door, like maybe 30 seconds after it happened. I was like, quick, come here, come here, come here. All three of us were just stood there watching it. And, you know, I just think there's no way to dramatise it any more than actually real life. And, you know, it came across, you know, as it was in person. And, and as you say, to bring the family in and to, that's what I kind of mentioned earlier, to have that kind of, you know, human aspect and you know he is a driver that sometimes crashes once or twice but he does it because he loves it and you can see that passion and you can see the worry on you know his his wife's face afterwards and you know that i just think yeah, it, if I watched it again now, I'd still be sat there in silence at the shock of it. Yeah, it, it was it's shocking indeed. Harry, what did you take away from it? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw some people were quite aghast at you know the way Netflix had shown it, and I I couldn't think of a reason why. I thought they they'd shown it brilliantly and they told the story perfectly you know it's not like every even if you're not an F1 fan Roman Grosjean was on every news outlet for the next 48 hours with that story so you you know bottom line is you know he got out you know it was all right and yeah. you know yeah. so they they can show all the full all the yeah. full footage and I thought it was great that they had they had the doctors from the medical car giving their um, recounts as well and how making sure you know he what the reason why Grosjean wanted to walk towards the medical car to show everything everybody that he was okay um they there was nothing wrong with it at all captured perfectly and one and you know one of the the hugest crashes and stories from from formula one in 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 recent history i'd say ollie what about you say same sort of view on it 
Yeah, I think it was incredibly shot. Um, maybe I very small percent of me understands that, okay, there was one bit where they cut, they were drawn out the bit where he's in the car and he's about to come out and then they cut away and they cut back and they rewind and they make it look like he's in there for like 10 minutes, um, which I, I get maybe they left it a bit too long. Maybe that's slightly un... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not, it's not very sensitive towards yeah. the situation. But um, there's one scene in particular, which is only about five seconds long, which seemed to be a camera angle that's from a Netflix camera that we've never seen before, which was directly opposite. And you can see him do exactly what I described, yeah. try and get out one way, couldn't stop, pause, re-get out. And that was, you know, really heart in mouth. Um, and... I mean, he said, didn't he, in the last episode that, you know, I've, I've left my mark on, on F1 now and it's probably not the mark you want to leave. Um, he almost had to kill himself to try and get remembered. But it's it's a tough one. I'm fine. I'm trying to think. I probably can't even get away with a sensitive way of saying this. But he made a lot of mistakes in F1. He's absolutely rapid. Can't wait to see him in IndyCar and I think he's lovely. Um, but, you know, if that crash didn't end up the way it did... I'd be able to get away with saying the fact that that accident was, you know, self-induced, you know, regardless of what happened, which yeah. is terrible. And I'm trying to find a sensitive way to say this, the way he moved out, et cetera, et cetera, there should be a safer barrier there and all that. But um, I'm just glad he got out. Okay. Shows how amazing the halo is, the car is, everything else. Um, it's probably not the way he wants to leave F1, you know, with a big crash to, to add up onto the rest, but it may for an incredible episode, insane to see him get out wish i saw will buxton crying a bit more because um, <laughs> yeah, i had watched, he was crying wasn't he well i had watched dogs survive until puppies. yesterday and i saw his instagram post being a bit defensive you know guys i only cried for this reason and i went on looking forward to seeing boy's eyes out and there's just a couple of you know little drops in there <laughs> and, uh, eye drops i'm like no i want to see you bawling with but do you know what i've got to admit even uh. just watching it um even just watching it here in, in the hotel last night, that episode, even though I hardly know the guy and maybe he's spoken to him a couple of times and and wasn't there for the crash, I have no reason to be upset by it. It's the third time I've watched that accident, whether it be live or replay or Netflix, and I start getting teary-eyed because mm. you can put yourself in that situation and we all can, whether it's me or Abby being in the car or Tim having managed someone. I don't know if anyone knows, but Tim manages uh, XF1 drivers. Oh, you had um, to, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I managed Ollie. I managed Ollie. Very, yes. Very, yeah, exactly. Very yeah, And I'm not in F1, so you yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, funny, it's funny that he talks about Max Chilton half the time. Never I been know. on the podcast. Never been on the show. <laughs> he just he just ignores my calls. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, oh. it was it was amazing, and it, and you know as you allude to, um, it, it's testament to the safety that we have now in F one, and the the thing that really got me was the race suit. You know, he, he I can't remember how many seconds he was actually in the flames, but yeah, you know, the race suit was in incredible condition when he came out. Um, mm. It's it's astonishing, really, that you can sit in that kind of fireball and, and come out with essentially a, a burnt hand. Um, extraordinary, but thank God he's okay. Now. Um, Last thing I want to do, um, because it would be great to get this as a bit of an annual thing, um, is is get a score from you all. And I've picked a random round 100. I want a score out of 100. It could have been out of 10. When I saw, when I saw that, I was like, 100? Well, like, I, we have hell. decimal places as well. So <laughs> you, can, you can have decimal places if you want. You can, you're on your web. You can do whatever you like. You know, yeah. you're an Instagram star. It's fine. Uh, so uh, you, you, you can, it's out of 100. I, I guess I wanted to get a bit more of a spread, you know, than than uh, than just a, a one to ten. So 
Harry, I'm going to come to you first. Zero to a hundred. How do you rank this series of Drive to Survive? Oh, I would say, I mean, I'm docking, I'm going to dock points for no Williams, no George Russell, nothing in Turkey, and then a couple of other bits. So I'm going to say, what's that? I'm going to give it a solid 65 out of 100. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, that's all right. I'm just bit low room, room, room to grow room, room to grow if we're okay. going to do this annually I don't want to peak too soon yeah, yeah fair <laughs> point um, Abby what do we get from you well because I've not watched the previous seasons it's a bit difficult to kind of have a, a fully rounded view but for the same reasons as Harry um, I'm going to score it slightly higher so I'm going to give it 75 mm-hmm. okay um, but yeah docked for the same reasons okay excellent Ollie 78.5. 78.5. Straight in there. No messing around. Decimal point and everything. Are you going to justify your 78.5? Um, What's the 0.5? I would yeah. like to have... Uh, the 0.5 is for the sound man. Yeah. Um, I would, I'd would. i like to have three out of 100. You know, one for visual, one for emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, yeah. I think, I think, you know, high 70s because... <sighs> It, it 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 can't be bad, you know. If they base it on one and two uh, seasons, one and two, they've got a great start point and something that's exciting to watch. And the season itself was bloody exciting. Yeah. So um, because of that, it was good. So to be honest, the points they're missing is just uh, it's their own fault. Actually, they were given a pretty free season. I take it back. Mm-hmm. Thirty. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's too late. You've you've given the highest score because I'm going for a sixty because I I felt Ooh. well. The, the reason I say that is because. As I said right at the start, I I know F1 as you guys do. I, I watch it week in, week out. I've worked in it. I, I I see this stuff. And for me, it as a, I guess, a more hardcore F1 fan, it just didn't really work for me. I, I enjoyed it. I thought there was too much missing. Um, I don't know. It, I just wasn't, compared, having watched the first couple uh, the series one for me i enjoyed the most because it was fresh it was new we'd never seen anything like this before second one i I really enjoyed this one it just tailed off a little bit for me so 60 out of 100 for for me um ollie gives it the highest rating followed by abby then harry and then me well listen that's it there we are that's our drive to survive wrap up i'm sure we've missed plenty and will be corrected all over the place on twitter but we've enjoyed ourselves many thanks to harry as always for jumping onto the other side of the fence and being on the panel ollie and abby thanks to the both of you for giving up your evening Um, and thanks to our listeners who continue to support the show until the next one bye for now thank you so much for listening to the motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials twitter at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and facebook just search motormouth you can also download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth mouth podcast hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.